think that was an appropriate reading. No, no. And Andrew, we've got our women to hold us up, you know. You and I are hopeless, right? Well, everyone knows that, so. Well, good morning. My name is Rob, in case you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, well, the term, let me fix this here. The term has ended, and here we are at Easter long weekend. Is that, am I doing that right? There we go. Yeah, sweet. So here we are, right? We finally, the probably a stressful week for many people as the term was wrapping up, but here we are, we finally arrived. Easter weekend is here. Um, but do you ever wonder why we have this long weekend? Is it simply an opportunity to enjoy yourself and go camping? Have you traveled down south? Or maybe a chance to visit the Royal Easter Show. Perhaps you don't do any of those things and just stay at home and you, know, you have the kids do a little Easter egg hunt and gorge yourself with chocolate. I bet if the average Coastie, if you asked the average Coastie why we have Good Friday, as in the significance behind it, they wouldn't have a clue. They'd likely be concerned that everybody has a safe and enjoyable long weekend. Safety is the key. That's why you'll see road signs as you drive all over the place this long weekend saying, be careful when you're sli- if you're sleepy, pull over, don't drink and drive, buckle your seatbelt, stop it or cop it, get a COVID test. Our society is completely fixated on the dangers that are out there. We're almost hypersensitive to anything that could interrupt the safety, security, and tranquility of our lives. It's nearly impossible, isn't it, to watch the news today or to go on Facebook or or however you receive information and, and not be bombarded with all of the dangers out there. It might be a form of pollution It might be a disease. It might be a nuclear war on the horizon. It might be an unsafe food product. It might be a corrupt business that you invest in. There's always something to fret about. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what should we fear the most? What possesses the greatest threat to your life? It might surprise you, but the greatest threat to your life is actually not physical. It's spiritual. Jesus said this, Do not fear those who, listen, kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. He was referring to God, the creator of the world. God is arguably the most destructive power in the universe. The very God who gave you life, friend, is the same God who will take that life away. But on the coast, right now, that's not on people's radar. They don't fear God. They're not afraid of Him. They're not worried about some judgment. They might think that this is like a nice weekend, but none of this is on their radar. They're afraid, sure, that they might lose their job, afraid they might lose their health, afraid they might lose their partner, 
afraid that they don't have a nice long weekend. But the one they really should fear is God Almighty. Now, why do I say all this? Because until we understand our own sinfulness, until we comprehend what it is, we won't grasp the wonder and beauty of Jesus' sufferings at Calvary. Good Friday, if we don't understand sin, we don't understand things, Good Friday will just be another holiday, albeit pointless to an extent. So what I'd like to do is teach just one verse today, just one verse that encapsulates the passages that we just read about Jesus' cross. And here it is. This verse is the why behind Good Friday. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. That is Good Friday in a nutshell. And I want us to carefully unpack each little bit of this one verse. So we'll do it under three headings, okay? Three headings. They all start with P. The penalty the picture, and the purpose. The penalty, the picture, and the purpose. May God bless the teaching and reading of his word as we jump into it. So let's pray as we ask the Lord to bless our time. Oh Lord, take your word and bring it to bear upon our hearts and lives this morning. We ask that you would get in under our guards that you would break through our defenses, that you would all arrest our attention, that you would awaken our slumbering consciences, that you would call the dead from death unto life. For the glory of your name we ask this, in Christ's name, amen. So thousands of years ago, there was just an average bloke. No one would know who he is. He's from an average town, and he was a fisherman. His name was Peter, and again, nobody would know this guy. History books would never write about him. It's just your common blue-collar bloke. And this guy, Peter, one day became a follower of Jesus, and not only a follower, but a very close follower. And eventually, he became one of the key pillars, one of the key leaders in the church. At one stage, while Peter had his ministry, there was this massive persecution that broke out against the church. Many of Peter's fellow Christians, probably some, probably some of his friends, had to flee. They were, they were scattered abroad because of this persecution. They were doing it tough, man, really tough. So he writes, what does he do in response? He writes these two letters and disperses them out, circulates them around to these suffering Christians. So a common theme in his two letters is suffering. He reminds them that just as they were suffering, so also Jesus suffered. In reality, he's the greatest example of suffering. And since Jesus copped it, they were to follow in his footsteps because it is better to suffer for doing good 
which brings us to where we're at here in chapter 3. Again, we're going to focus on just this one sentence. And the texture of this sentence, it's, it's almost poetic if you look at it here. Let's, let's have a look. He says, for Christ also suffered, for, notice, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So I told you we're gonna unpack this. Listen, let's do this first bit about the penalty. Peter said that Christ suffered, how many times? Once, meaning at one time. And his suffering wasn't random or just bad luck. He did so on account of something. Can you see it? He suffered once for what? For sins. Now what does that mean? What is sin? Is that just something that really, really, really bad people do occasionally? They go to jail for it? Well, maybe. But I think many folks are confused what sin is. They think when their conscience bothers them, when they feel guilty about something, they believe that's a true assessment of their spiritual condition. The problem is with that is that everybody's life includes stuff that troubles us, right? You can feel bad about the way things are going in your life right now. You can feel bad about your own failures or your own struggles, kind of like the addict who is so distressed because he or she can't get over their substance and it's, it's just ruining their life. Have you ever seen that? It's quite awful. Not only does this break them down and make them feel miserable, but it messes up all the relationships so that they're embarrassed and ashamed about what people see and think of them. Now, as awful as that is, that's not the essence of sin. The essence of sin is not what it does to you or what it does to some other person. The essence of sin is what it does to God. Sin offends God. You see, the Bible teaches that sin came into the world through our first mom and dad through our first parents, Adam and Eve. We know the story, right? We know the story. Well, you know, God makes them, creates them in his image, places them in a garden, and says, all right, all right, guys, you can eat from any tree you like except that one right there. He wasn't on some power trip when he did that, by the way. He wanted them to know that they were creatures and they were to be dependent on him for their very lives. That's why he warned them, saying, the day you eat of that tree, you shall surely, what? We know this, die. Now, they didn't die instantly, did they? They didn't fall over physically dead, but they died spiritually. Eventually, they did die physically. But what happened? What happened? So they have this warning. God's not on some power trip. He's no, he wants them to know that there's a, he's the creator, they're the creature. But they decided to disobey his command, and eat the fruit anyway. And what happened? When this happened, when they bit into the fruit, they weren't just violating some arbitrary command. They were doing something far more serious. They were rejecting God's authority over them. They wanted to be the boss. The Bible calls this sin, which means to miss the mark. Miss the mark. But here's the thing. It's not as if Adam and Eve were trying very hard to keep God's commands and missed the bullseye by a few meters. 
No, the fact is they were shooting in the opposite direction. They had goals and desires that were categorically opposed to what God wanted for them. And so they deliberately violated his command, broke their relationship with him, and rejected him as their rightful king. And now, listen, now the ripple effects, because you're like, well, that's terrible. But listen, the ripple effects comes down to every single one of us. All of us are born into this world as a guilty sinner before God. But look, that's exactly why Jesus came. That's exactly why Jesus came. Check out the verse again. He suffered once for sins, which is, notice, it's a, sort, it's a shorthanded way of saying he paid the penalty for sins. It was a one-time event with ongoing sufficiency. It doesn't require repetition. Sin has been dealt with. Now, there are a number of Bible passages that teach this, that this is a one-time sufficient event. I'll give you two. You can look up here at the screen. First one comes from Romans 6.10. For the death he died, he died to sin. Notice, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here's another one for you. Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews 9.28. So Christ, having been offered once, you see that same language, to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for him. What a great passage. You know, one of the kids and I during family devotions this week, we, um, we were reading about Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, which represents peace, right? That's what, that's what it represents, is, is he's coming in as, as peace. But then I said to the kids, why do you think Jesus came? I mean, why didn't he ride on like a lion or, you know, like an elephant or something really, I mean, that would be, a, I'll get a lot more attention. Why a donkey? Well, we talked about peace, but when he comes back, when he comes back, kids, he will come riding on a horse, as a conquering king. He comes the first time and cops it. He comes the second time in judgment. Are you, are, are, listen, listen, are you ready to meet that conquering, judging king? On what grounds are you ready? Are, is it, are, are you trusting in the fact that you've been going to church for a few years? Maybe you're nicer than your neighbors? If, if, if you were to die today and, and the Lord said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many. He will appear a second time. Jesus' suffering is over. Its purpose fully accomplished. Listen, though, it wasn't his sins that put him on the cross. The next part of the verse makes this explicit. This is where we get the picture. Peter gives an image or a picture, notice here, to describe what occurred at the cross. Here's the picture. For Christ also suffered once for sins, notice, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. Can you, can you get that image in your mind? The language used here talks about an exchange. Can you see it? The righteous for the unrighteous. The just for the unjust. This is astonishing. Jesus is the just, the righteous one, the pure and holy one. Yet he died for the unjust, the unrighteous, the unholy, the impure. Because Jesus had no guilt of his own to pay for, he was righteous. He could be the substitute who died in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserve. 
He made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen to these words written hundreds of years before about the prophet Isaiah. Not about Isaiah. Isaiah is writing about Jesus. Isaiah says this, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, you hear that language? The righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Who, who, who is Isaiah referring to there? Jesus. He bore our sins in his body. That is to say, when he did so, God killed him. Now, What's amazing to me is this is really bristled at in, I'll put quotations around this, Christian circles. People don't like this idea of Jesus being a substitute in the place of sinners. But it's just absolutely fundamental to understanding sin and Jesus as the sacrificial lamb and what it is to even trust him as, their, as your savior. And can it be? that thou, my God, should die for me. Amazing love, right? How can it be? This is, this is just Christianity 101. God transferred our guilt and our sin to Christ, put him on a cross, and poured out his wrath on Jesus. So we've looked at the penalty for sin, the picture, which is the just for the unjust, the great exchange. Jesus, a vicarious, wrath-bearing substitute on our behalf. And now, the purpose. The purpose. Why all of that, right? Why all of that stuff? So that he could bring us to God. Isn't that beautiful? For Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, notice, here's the purpose, that he might bring us to God. You see, prior to Good Friday, friend, we were enemies of God and separated from him because of our sin. But through the death of Jesus, we are brought to God. This is the purpose of his suffering. P Peter uses an interesting word here. It, it carries the idea of someone who introduces. It's an introducer. Someone who brings you to somebody else. Right? Oh, I want to go meet that person. Here, I'll, let me introduce you. Let me, let me go introduce you to this person. See, because back then, a king would have an official who had the responsibility to screen everybody and determine who got through the door into the king's throne room. Right? If you just showed up and you wanted to go meet with the king, no, it doesn't work that way. You, you, someone's going to actually screen you to make sure you're not this dodgy character, right? Because you could try to kill the king or whatever. So, what this guy did is he was, he was screening people, saucing people out, so that after that, he could give them access to the presence of the king. You still with me? That is Jesus. He is the introducer who opens the door and lets us in the throne room of God because of his death in our place. He shows us the Father, he takes us to God, and no longer is God our enemy, but he is our Father. This could only happen through Jesus Christ. 
He alone is the one who paid the price for sin once for all. And this redemption is applied to all who believe. One commentator put it this way. He said, Jesus died in order that he might reach across the gulf between God and humanity and taking our hand, lead us across the territory of the enemy into the presence of the Father who called us. I love that. What a picture. Died so that he might bring us to God because I know that you probably think really highly of yourself because I do too. And we tend, to, we tend to think that of ourselves, particularly in, if you grew up in the 90s and you're in the self-esteem era. But without Christ, understand, you were gonna stand before God guilty. Without Jesus. But Jesus lived a life that you could never live and died the death that you could never die. He brings, and by that brings, many sons to glory, Hebrews 10 Hebrews 2.10, right? Brings many sons to glory. We just sang it. Jesus died in the place of sinners so that he might bring them to God. But his death was not the end. Look at the last part of the verse. And I won't steal Dan's thunder because he's preaching on Easter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God Notice, being put to death in the flesh. That is, Jesus was killed on the cross physically, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried there that Friday afternoon, Saturday, Sunday morning. He rose from the dead. We don't follow a dead savior, but one who is risen and reigning and is alive. Now, just by hearing that, you don't get to get inoculated. Do you know what I mean by that? You don't just go, oh, I'm in. You actually have to believe this truth, cling to Jesus. It's kind of like, I'll grab this chair, right? This chair, now let's just say, I, I think, can this chair, can this chair hold me up? Well, I think so, right? I mean, I haven't had that many hot cross buns yet. Now, by just believing that the chair can hold me up, is it doing anything? Is it actually working? No. It's not until I actually come, sit in the chair, and rest. You see? In the same way, just by hearing this information, you don't just get to get in the kingdom by osmosis or something. You actually have to trust and rest in the finished work of Christ. He alone can save you. Where are you at, friend? Where are you at this morning? Are you trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life? That's the why behind Good Friday. Let's pray. Lord, we don't take the truths that were learned today lightly. These are life, soul-saving realities. We do pray, Lord, for those that are here that, have, for whatever reason, they haven't grabbed your hand and crossed that gulf, would you grant them salvation? 
Lord, we pray that they'd be uncomfortable even now. It's better to be uncomfortable now and turn from sin than meet you in wrath and judgment. So Lord, would you grant them faith and repentance? Lord, we thank you for those of you that are clinging to you, that are sitting, that are resting in you now. We praise you, Jesus, for your finished, completed, perfect sacrifice in our place you stood condemned. Thank you, Lord. May that ring in our ears and our hearts this weekend. In Christ's name.